our Lord is a Lord of life, and he champions life. He is the author and creator of life. The one who is made a life also is the protector of life, and he is the encourager of life. And those who seek life, truly seek life, seek him. They are found in him. They are made complete in him. They are only made complete in him. And they know that the only way to be made complete is in God. And then there are those who chase death, who pursue death, who pursue division, who pursue discord, who pursue strife, who are led by evil and are following evil. Oh Lord, protect your ones who follow you in life. Welcome to an exegetical study of biblical scripture. This scripture is God's speech, God's story, written through the hands of men by his spirit, and it's all about God's glory. My name is Bryce Ferguson. Join me now as we go into the word. This is Genesis. great God, to our great God over and above this earth, over and above all peoples and all nations. You are God over all governments and all structures and all organizations. There is nothing that exists apart from you. Man cannot create apart from what you have created. You created out of nothing. And science marvels. Science only knows creation or restructuring out of the order of things that already are. God, you are outside of that. You have made everything that is by your divine hand in creation. It is this passionate, creative hand wonderful hand, mighty hand, loving hand, which has made this world, which has made the cosmos, which has made the oceans and the rivers and the lakes and the mountains and the deserts and the forests and the valleys. God, it is all from you. You are the author and you are the judge. You are the one who sets and establishes that which is good and you establish that and define that and show us what is evil so that we will not be a part of it. You are the one who give the definition to this and to that. You are the one who defines life And you show that those who love you also love life. That those who love life don't worship themselves, but they worship you. Because they know that you are the author and the source of all life. And they know that you are the source of all things and you are the only one who is worthy of praise. And there is no one else who is worthy. 
O Lord, our God. Be glorified in our hearts. Be glorified in this world. Be glorified in the cosmos. Be glorified in the oceans. May your creation bring glory to your name. Amen. Folks, we are back in Genesis 19 today. If you have your Bibles, please open them, and we will begin reading in Genesis 19 here shortly. The Lord our God gives common grace to all men. To all of his creation, he has given this grace, and we see it in the sunlight, which some men and women of this earth worship. And we see it in the oceans, which some people worship. And we see it in the forests, and we see it in the stars, and we see it in life itself. We see it in largely, though this is not globally so at all times, of course, because we're living in a fallen world, but at creation, we see it in the abundance of food and provision. That those who are born onto this earth, who are born from their mother's womb, are welcomed into the earth with an earth that is filled, we read in Genesis 1 and 2, filled with provision for them. God's common grace to all men is to live on this earth, to breathe, to move, to eat, and to be their individual person as they are, as we all are individuals when we are born. We are unique. And that is not to make much of ourselves. God has given common grace to all men with the unique identifier because there is no one else on earth like us, not even identical twins or triplets. And part of that common grace is to have choice. You make choices for your life each day. You make little choices like, what will I eat in the morning? What will I eat in the evening? You make choices about what you want to do and it and dependent upon which nation that you live in this country and how controlling your government structure is, you may have less choices than people in other nations. But we all make choices every day. This is part of God's creation and his common grace to mankind. Also, God has an invitation to all men. God's invitation to all men is to have a personal relationship with God, with himself. And in that, there is also a consequence. There is a favor for choosing God, and there is a consequence of not choosing God. Also, God has a specific plan for those who choose him, and that is salvation. That those who want God get the reward of God. That those who want God, that those who receive his salvation, who humble themselves before them, before God, rather, who them, the majority, humble themselves before God, they get to be part of God's family. God adopts us in and says, you are now my son, you are now my daughter. Welcome in. The great wonder of God's love is that He created us, that He wanted us so much that He created us on this earth under common grace for all men. And then He reaches down and He wants to have a personal relationship with us. He invites us in to His exclusive kingdom to be in his presence to be in the presence of joy and gladness in a way that is unmatched from this stained world 
And lastly, God has judgment for those who oppose him. There is a consequence that those who do not want God, they do not get to be with God. It's fascinating, isn't it, that those who want God, who receive God, who humble themselves before God, who repent of their sins and turn away from the ways of this world and say, I don't want to worship myself. I don't want to worship my siblings. I don't want to worship my friends. I don't want to worship my parents. I don't want to try to imitate faith by relying on anyone else's faith on my behalf. I don't want to do it. I don't want to find my identity in this world, which, does, which is constantly dissolving, which is constantly decaying, which is constantly and always at odds with God. I don't want to do that. I want to follow God. What wondrous love is this, that almighty God of all creation is inviting us in and to have a relationship with him and to know life, not just now alive on earth at this moment, but life eternally with him. That is the offer from God. That you don't, that you wouldn't just have a life as we know it on earth right now until we die on earth but that we would know life forever. But there is a judgment for those who refuse God. There is a judgment for when God speaks, they do not listen. For when God invites, they refuse. For when God calls out, come, they walk away. They do not listen. They harden their hearts against God. We're going to recap by rereading the last few sections of the last few weeks as this leads into today's text. If you have your Bibles, please join me at the start of Genesis 19. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lie down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both the young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance and shut the door after him and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man lot and drew near to break the door down. But the men out reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door, that is the angels. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here? Sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city, bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. 
So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought him out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords. Behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zor. Now today's text. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zor. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley, and he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was, when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Let's look at this example of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. They are listed two, but specifically the story told of the one in Sodom. And we can derive that both were the same. As before I said that God gave, God gives common grace to all men. So God had given them, the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah, common grace because he gives it to all men. Let's look at point two, God's invitation to all men. Let's read this from the text, Paul's letter to the Romans. Romans 1 verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes. People ask, how can I know God? I can't see him. How can I believe in something I have not seen? Romans 1, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. God's invitation to all men is to have a personal relationship with him or be subject to the consequence of not choosing God. And the people in the city of Sodom had refused the Lord. But God was eager and he was anxious to bring about the salvation of those who were righteous in the city. This was Abraham's heart, and Abraham petitioned the Lord for it, and God is about salvation of those who follow him. God brought out Lot and his family with him from the two cities. God brought out Lot, his wife, and his two daughters. And then we read today, God has judgment for those who oppose him. 
Those who had no regard for God in Sodom and Gomorrah faced the consequence of refusing God, of opposing God. And who brings the judgment? Who brings the judgment? Well, it says right there in today's text, verse 24, then the Lord reigned on Sodom and Gomorrah, sulfur and fire. From who? From the Lord. Out of where? Out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. The Lord God is the one who is in control of life and of death, of good and even of evil. The Lord is the one who is the judge over what is good and what is evil, and he is the one who defines it. He is the one who establishes it. He is the one who sets the course. That narrow is the way that leads to life that leads to the kingdom of God, and wide is the path that leads to destruction, and many will follow it. Many will choose to follow it. And God is about an invitation to man because of his great love for mankind. God has this incredible capacity. He's not limited. The invitation is not limited to those who are rich or those who take a vow of poverty, to those who are of one race or to those who are of another race. And if you look to this world, this world is going to tell you that those who are wealthy are better. This world, depending on what day it is, what date on the calendar it is, what year it is, what continent you're on, this race is better than this race, because there are some people on this world, in this world, who are all about division. And they will divide you and divide you and drop you into classes and segment you and try to parcel you out and divide people instead of bringing people together. They feign that they're about bringing people together, but really they're about discord because they're not about life. They don't like the fact that you are a unique individual, that you were created by a creator, that your life has incredible purpose and meaning because God brought you forth. That God is the one who gave the capacity for you to have breath in your lungs and to breathe and to move, and to eat, and to absorb the sun's rays through your skin of your human body, and for your body to produce vitamin D as part of that, for water to fill up the majority of your internal body, 60 to 70 percent and that we would be in that very fluid, dynamic individuals. That we would have very complicated brain structures and nervous systems and cellular structure and cellular development and a heart that is part of the engine that runs your whole body all the time. If your heart's not working, you're not alive. God did that. That wasn't an atom colliding with another atom. Millions and millions and hundreds of millions and trillions and billions of years ago. And oh, we're all just here now. No, the author and creator, the one author and creator of all things did that. And he did that in you. And you were created for a very specific reason and purpose. And your life has meaning. I don't know if you think that right now at this very moment, and you may be wrestling with that, and you may be depressed over that, and you may be struggling. Your life has meaning. 
There is a reason God created you, and it is marvelous. There is a powerful reason that God created you, and you are here now for a reason. And it's not to make a bunch of money, and it's not to become famous, and it's not to be disillusioned in the discord and the disdain and the turmoil and the strife of this world. No. We are not created once to live and to die, and that's it, and there's nothing after this life. Absolutely not. There was so much more than that. And there's more than that for you. And you need to know that God loves you with an extravagant love. It's not a regular love. It's not a temporary love. It's not a conditional love. That, oh, you screwed up. Oh, you sinned. Oh, you sinned again. Oh, you sinned again. Oh, that's it. God's cutting. No, God doesn't do that. You may have been wronged by other people in this life. God loves you unconditionally. You may have known people in this life who withheld forgiveness from you. God is just waiting, waiting on you because he's that eager to have a relationship with you. And under God's common grace to all mankind, this invitation is open to all mankind. Verse 26. But Lot's wife behind him. You see something very telling in that. Lot, we talked about last week, Lot was apathetic to leave. Why was he apathetic to leave? The angels had warned him, up, get out, lest you be swept away, lest you be swept away. They'd said it twice, up, leave. We're going to destroy the city. God has given us power to destroy the city, and it will be destroyed. I don't know about you, but I would be fleeing the city as fast as I can. And yet I'm a sinner. And Lot was struggling. Why? Because possibly he was longing still for certain things of the city. This city of wicked sinners against the Lord. And Lot finally had his wits about him and he was leading, he was going with the angels out of the city because he knew, he knew God was going to destroy it. And where's his wife? She's behind him. Again, I would be charging out of that city. Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. A pillar of salt is essentially what I think most things in that city became. We have a lot of sodium in our bodies too, a lot of salts, electrolytes and such. And when our body decays, we still have salts. And it is raining sulfur and fire upon these cities. God had given them a stern warning through the angel. Flee and do not look back. It really comes down to obedience or disobedience. When God says something, are we going to follow him in that? Just because God said it, we don't need to know all the ins and outs, all the ifs and buts, all of the particulars. God wants his people to respond in faith. That God is the God, God is the one who said it, therefore we will obey it. And his children know that what God has in store for his children is always the best. So it should be our joy to obey it. And Lot struggled with that too. The angels had said, we're going to destroy the city. And he lingered 
The angel said, up, get out, flee to the mountains. Then Lot says, can I just go over to this little city that's closer by? God wanted him to obey him. To up and leave the city when the angel said, up and leave the city. To go to the mountains, to go to the hills where the angel said to flee to, instead of making a concession and saying, no, I no. First of all, no, is what he said. And then he said, let, let me just go over here. This is closer by, you know, to the raining fire and sulfur from heaven. And Lot's wife also didn't obey, but Lot had followed them out and, and the angel said, do not look back. The focus and the intention of her heart was back on what she had before. The longing of her heart was not in what was forward. It wasn't in following the angel to rescue, to salvation, to essentially God and what God had prepared for her, what God had planned for her. Her focus and her longing was back in that life. And Jesus talks about this in Luke 17. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke 17, verse 20. Being asked by the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to his disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there, or look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with its goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. She turned back. Her gaze was turned back. Not intently following the angel, focused on the angel, because she wanted to know what God had to say, what God was leading her to, what God wanted. She turned back. Was it that her eyes were so focused and her heart was so focused on the things of this world? From the sin of these cities? From the material possessions? If Jesus came back and she could see Jesus coming in the sky like lightning from one side to the other side, would you run back into your house and say, oh, I just need to grab this and I just need to grab this and I just need to get this possession and that possession? Or, oh, I want to bring my gold with me. Oh, I just need to get my cash out. Oh, I just need to get this. I need to get that. Jesus is saying, when I return, those whose hearts long for me the most 
those whose passion is for God the most, they will receive that which they are expecting. They will receive that for which they are longing. God is calling us to love him above all things. And Lot's wife did not have that desire. And she turned back and she became part of the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham returned to the place where he had petitioned the Lord. We see in the last few verses of today's text, he petitioned the Lord regarding Sodom. If so many are righteous in Sodom, would you destroy the righteous with the wicked? If, if only this many, God, if only this many, God. And he returns to that point and he sees the destruction of Sodom. God remembered Abraham's petition and he had rescued Lot out. He had sent his angelic visitors to get Lot and his family out. Lot went to his sons-in-law, as they were already called in Jewish times, in biblical times. If you were betrothed, then you were essentially already part of the family. He went to his sons-in-law. And what were they focused on? Were they eagerly anticipating the return of God? Were they eagerly anticipating that God would show up because their greatest longing and their greatest passion and their greatest love is for God? And when Lot said to them, up, get out of this place where God's going to destroy the city. No, absolutely not. That's not where they were at. In fact, they were opposed to a revelation about God and what he would do to the city. The sons-in-law said he appeared to be jesting, joking. It was sarcasm because the sons-in-law had in their mind and in their heart the things of this world. And God will not share that place. He will not share his position. He will not share his throne with the things of this world. He will not share it with anyone or anything else. So you either have God on the throne of your heart you either have God at the top position in your life because you love him the most and you want to see him return and you want to see him set things right and be the judge and be the ruler of all mankind because you believe in righteousness, because you believe in justice, because you believe in God receiving his glory in this world first and foremost, in your heart. Or you don't. It's the things of this world that you define as most important. It's yourself that you define as most important. It's your spouse that you define as most important. It's your kids you define as most important. It's your job. It's your personal identity online or in the real world, if I can only make myself appear like this, that is what I'm crafting. That is what I'm busy creating in this world. That's what I spend my days and my evenings doing. And God is calling all of mankind to repent of their sin, to turn away from all of that garbage and to trust in him. The people of Sodom and Gomorrah had no fear of the author and creator of all things. The one who holds the keys of heaven and hell. Even still, even though he holds the keys of heaven and hell, they didn't have fear of him. They didn't have fear of the one who holds their very lives in his hands at all times. They think they're in control. They weren't in control. God was in control. God is in control, and God will always be in control of all things at all times. 
even when it doesn't look like it, God is in control. And it isn't a terrifying fear that they should have had, like those who get scared by a scary movie or a frightful encounter in life. But they should have had a holy fear. A holy fear is one of sobriety, of the fact of who God is. A holy fear is one of worship unto God because of who he is. We are all to have a holy fear of God. Instead, the people of Sodom chose themselves. They chose their wickedness. They refused God and chose themselves, which means death. Jesus said it very clearly in Matthew 25, 46, that the righteous will go into eternal life and those who did not submit themselves to God, who did not put their faith and their hope in God will go away into eternal punishment. I also want to read for you John three sixteen. As most of us will be very familiar with John three sixteen, even those outside of the church familiar with verse 16, I will start with that, and that is the preface, but continue past verse 16, because this is all part of the same conversation. Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. God makes it very clear, folks, over and over and over again. The only way to be saved is through Jesus Christ. You must, you cannot have Jesus and your own identity in being full of yourself and that you don't need anybody else and I'll just have Jesus over here on this side. No, it's not like that. God makes it explicitly clear that will not be the case. You must repent from your own pride and your own desires and everything to him alone to be in relationship with God. There is one last passage in Matthew 22, which is especially telling. Our God is so compassionate and so merciful. He is so inviting. He is so longing that people would turn from their ways and choose him. In Matthew 22, starting in verse 1, there is a parable of a wedding feast. Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and then killed them. Verse 7, the king was angry. And he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. 
So the wedding hall was filled with guests. Jesus is talking about multiple things in this parable. Jesus is talking about the difference between the Jews and then that God would bring his gospel also to the Gentiles or i.e. to all who were not Jewish, that the invitation would also be for us and praise God that he did because now we all can come to the table. But also what is evident in this parable, in this analogy, in this story, is that people had hearts for other things than to be with God. God sent out his servants, having a feast for his son, Jesus Christ, inviting all to come. His invitation is open to all to come, to repent of your sin, to have a seat at the table, to be in God's presence and to have life and life forever with him. And this is the invitation. This is the invitation for you right now. Your life has purpose. If you had known that and you have forgotten that, I will reaffirm to you again, your life has incredible meaning and purpose. And you are uniquely one like you on this earth. This whole earth experience is not about you, but God cares so much for you and his love is so great for you that you are made unique. His creation is vastly complex and detailed and purpose-filled and you are unique because he loves you. Because he will guide you and he will lead you and you ask, but I don't know about this job or this opportunity. There's family matters and there's family tension and there's family strife. And I tell you, I implore with you, pray and leave it at the feet of Jesus. Ask Jesus through the Holy Spirit to guide you. Ask him to lead you. Ask him to teach you. Ask him to instruct you. Ask him to help you love other people. Ask him to help you love that person in your life that you're having trouble loving because God is great. Because you're not on the throne of your life anymore. You're living your life for God's glory. So pray and give God the glory and say, God, help me. I can't do it on my own, obviously. It's not happening. I need you to work through me, compel me, show me how to love this person because they need Jesus too. And God is waiting for you to pray and give it all to him. This to him, that to him. Your tomorrow to him, your tonight to him. The relationship with your spouse to him, your kids' behavior to him, your kids' choices to him, your behavior to him. To turn away from sin and to trust in Jesus. And to find that the desires that we have in this life that there are good desires and these longing desires, these desires in your heart that just have this longing that's not met. It's not met. And it's not met. And you grow weary with the day after day after day after day of waiting for something. You're waiting for something to change. And I'm telling you that longing is to be with God. That longing that is not met is God himself. And God is waiting. And God is longing that you would make the choice to receive his invitation 
and to turn and to follow him and walk behind him, focused on him. Let's pray. Oh, good shepherd. Oh, good leader. Oh, good God and Father. You know all things. You are sovereign over all things. We see war and we see strife in this world. We see materialism and we see jealousy in this world. We see those who are actively chasing wickedness in this world. And you see it. And you know it. And you are drawing the line in the sand again each day and giving us the invitation to cross over from the petty things of this world, what this world chases, what this world pursues, what this world values above all else in their heart, to leave that behind, walk out of Sodom and Gomorrah and follow you. Because judgment is coming, because judgment is very real. And we wanna know life from the author of life and the sustainer of life and to be saved by the only one who could save us. And that's Jesus Christ. Lead us and guide us by your Holy Spirit, O oh God. We pray this in your name, amen. Join me next time as we continue in Genesis chapter 19.